Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Before we get into the show, I want to remind you all of a couple things. One, your girl, Amanda Seals, host of Small Doses, has been nominated as podcast host of the year in the iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. Yes! So you can vote for me at iHeartRadio.com. Number two, your girl, author Amanda Seals, has been nominated in the Goodreads Choice Awards. Small Doses is now in the semifinal round, thanks to you all casting your votes. The Goodreads Choice Awards are basically the only book award that is made possible by people like you. It's not the New York Times bestseller bullshit list. It's not some random, you know, highfalutin folks. No, it's the readers who vote on which books win. So you can vote for me at goodreads.com. My book, Small Doses, is under the humor category. Cast your votes and let's get me into the next round. Third, you can catch me this weekend at the Dynasty Typewriter with Small Doses Live. Y'all, I'm bringing this shit right here to you, the people. It's going to be dope. You get your DMT questions answered in real time. And we've also got a couple other surprises up our sleeves. So get your tickets today at smartfunnyandblack.com backslash schedule. Last but not least, I will be headlining at the Orlando Improv. I'm going home to the ozone. Yes. Orlando Improv, Saturday and Friday. I said it backwards. November 22nd and 23rd, I will be at the Orlando Improv in my hometown of the 407, representing. Get your tickets also at smartfunnyandblack.com backslash schedule, or the link is in the bio on my Instagram page. So there's a lot of Amanda for you, you guys. I just gave you a lot of homework. There are assignments. And I want to make it clear, too, that if you come to the Dynasty Typewriter, as well as the Orlando Improv, bring your books, get them signed. Now let's do a show. It's so funky. <laughs> a lot of us have heard a lot about hymens lately. <laughs> Why, Amanda? Has Dr. Ruth been talking about sex? No, 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 no. Was there a gynecological convention that took place in your... Proximity? No, 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 no. That's not why. Well, why, Amanda? Why? Why would we all have been hearing about hymens a lot recently? Well, obviously, because of Atlanta rapper T.I. The naturally obvious reason why any of us would be discussing hymens. (laughs) Now, I've known Tip for a long time, Um, you know, in the music space. It's been a very big topic of conversation uh, him and the Hymans, specifically one Hyman in question, his daughters. For those of you who don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, rapper T.I. was basically on a podcast recently where they asked him about his parenting skills and he started to talk about how he uh, takes his daughter to the gynecologist and asks for the results of her examination in order to determine if her hymen is still intact, which he uh, feels is a representation of her 
uh, virginity still being uh, intact. This leads us to this episode. Side effects of virginity. We will be discussing the concept, the construct, um, the side effects of the concept and the construct, and the realities of what it really means. And, of course, I will tell you all the story of when I decided that it was time for the virginity to go out the dough. We also will offer you a different way of referring to the virginity exiting that Rebecca discovered in a, in a tweet on the Twitters. And uh, fuck, fuck it, it, let's just discuss that, that now. now. On Twitter, a young woman named Lottie said, <laughs> and I quote, losing slash taking virginity equals turn sex into an object, places pressure on the decision, and you don't actually lose or take anything. However, if we change the language to sexual debut, it's exciting. All focuses on you, and it suggests a musical number is involved. I agree. So from this point forward, we'll be referring to the loss of virginity as a sexual debut. Whenever we are not speaking on the ridiculousness of the phrase loss of virginity. All right, let's get into a gem drop. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. So today's gem drop is virginity versus having sex for the first time. Amanda, what is the difference? Let's get into it. Virginity is a construct and concept that is based out of the church that conceptualizes this thought process that says that when you have sexual intercourse, you are no longer a representation of the purity of the Virgin Mary. Um, that is essentially what it says. And it is created in a patriarchal space. And within that patriarchal space, it presents sex as relative to women to be only for the purpose of reproduction. Uh, if you look in, you know, religious teachings, this is essentially like what it is deemed to be for women. If you watch uh, religious documentaries like The Handmaid's Tale, um, <laughs> it essentially presents it as such. Whereas for men, sex does not exist within that same construct and it is for the purpose of not just pleasure, but preservation. And there have been many teachings that present sex as a matter of life and death for men, not just creating life, but in sustaining their own life and their own sanity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas for women, it is presented as a duty to a husband. It is presented as a duty to the world, as a mother um, and as a creator. And it is presented as, unfortunately, a basically a tool that is to be used only by men for their own pleasure. Now, this is where virginity, that's how virginity is presented and that's how it splinters off into all of these things. In contrast, having sex for the first time 
is just having sex for the first time. You can make that as monumental or as non-monumental as you want to. It can be as uh, good of an experience or it could have been a bad experience, but it is not attached to your worth as a human. It is not attached to your value as a woman, and it is not attached to your spiritual piousness. It is simply just a rite of passage in your human life, and that can be whatever you want it to be. For some people, they position it as like, now I'm an adult because I'm doing things with my body that can create problems or blessings that are adult-like. I mean a baby. (laughs) Um, But also problems and blessings like, Babies can be blessings. STDs can be problems. Okay. Uh, UTIs can be problems. Okay. Orgasms can be blessings. So these are things that happen once you start having sexual intercourse. Virginity is not just about you having sexual intercourse. It has all these other things attached to it that have to do with society and politicization of bodies, et cetera, et cetera. And it really just puts this unfair weight and pressure on something that is really just your personal experience. It's your personal situation and it's really yours. You don't have to share it with everybody. It doesn't need to be a, um, it doesn't need to be like a celebration in some cultures. It is, but I'm speaking from the point of view of Western American culture and it does not need to be everybody's topic of discussion when you're in school you just feel like it is everybody's topic of discussion and so you feel sometimes the pressure to have to be a part of those conversations but in this conversation I just want to make it clear that we really got to take a look at why we're even still using the term virginity and what we're attaching to it when we say it and the furthering of it outside of just like saying someone's a virgin, but then like saying how many people you've slept with, you know, like you've I've, I've definitely had these people who say like, I've only slept with four people and it's like, and what does that mean? And for some, it's like, oh, I'm just saying, like, I really haven't had a lot of sexual experience. Okay, fine. Some people say that, though. And what they mean is I am more untouched. I am preserved. I have a certain level of purity about me. And I look at those people and I'm like, go fuck yourself. You're just not on my level. Bum. First question. As a parent, when does your child's virginity stop being your business and start being their business? Obviously, we want to create an open space for kids to ask questions and get good information. But where is the line? Is it when they turn 20? Is it never? I don't know. And I can't help but remember when we were in high school and there were those one or two pregnant teens and you couldn't help but say, "Okay, where were your parents and didn't they explain how to use protection? Well, this is actually a great question in relation to the the whole T.I. conversation, right? I mean, I. There's the concept of like 18 is when you are technically of age. But if we want to be more nuanced, 
I think only you as a parent, like, know when your child is an adult. <laughs> like, and I think that that's something that you have to be very honest with yourself about, too. Because I think a lot of parents, like, especially, like, from other cultures outside of, like, traditional American culture. Like, I know in Caribbean culture, like, I mean, you never grow up. Like, you're always your you're always your mother's child, even if you have a child. <laughs> like, so I think that there's just like the boundaries of that. But I mean, on a very basic level, I'll say like, as long as your children are in grade school, their virginity is your fucking business. I mean, I think we can make that a basic standpoint. Like until I leave high school, I am your business. One billion percent in like a very intense way. Now, I feel like once your child is moving in the world in a more independent way. Like you're just going to have to let go of certain things. I mean, that's just the reality of the case. And I think that that's what also what happens naturally is like, they start determining what they want to share with you. And you kind of either have to go along with that or you make your, or you open up the floor and say like, I know that you becoming more independent. Um, and I know your sex life is not my business, but just know that I am available to you for input or information in that space. And I think that's also just a part of like the separating um, of a child from a parent in terms of like them becoming their own independent person. Like you just start to see as your kids become teenagers, like the things that they keep from you, the things that they don't feel like you would be interested in, the things that they're not interested in telling you. And it takes you having to like, I don't want to say humble yourself, but like have a certain level of awareness of the fact that like you are now going to have to like be proactive about inviting certain conversations. You're going to have to be proactive about opening certain spaces and creating certain spaces. And that's just the nature of somebody coming into their own and wanting to have like privacy, right? That's just the nature of somebody coming into their own and wanting to create the own boundaries of their identity. And so that happens with children as they become teenagers and as they become adults and even with your friends, like you'll say like, hey, if you if you want to talk about that, like, let me know. I mean, I've done that a lot of times with my friends. Like, you know, like you have a friend that maybe is like going through something with their relationship and you you let them know like, hey, if you want to talk about this, I'm available. Um, you know, I've had friends go through me medical issues or health issues and you're just like, hey, if you want to talk about this, like I'm available. Um, and maybe you're not available. And so you don't. So maybe you're the kind of parent who's like, I, I don't, don't want to know about, about my child's sex life after they leave, leave my house. house. That's, I think that's fair too. They probably don't want to tell you about it either. But I do think that there's a certain level of parenting that is fair to say is generally applied to if the child is living under your roof, then I don't want to make it about their virginity or about like their sexual advancement, but more so it's simply just like if a child is under your roof, I feel like it is your responsibility to do whatever you can to equip them with knowledge and information for them to make the best decisions for themselves. So that's what the talk is about, whether it's related to the birds and the bees or telling a black child how to deal with the cops. It all comes under the heading of how can I just equip my kid as best as possible to navigate in this world of uncertainty with as much certainty about themselves and the assuredness of their understanding. I nailed that. I love when y'all ask me questions that stretch my mentals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Next question. Why was cunnilingus? This is from a man. 
Why was cunnilingus such a taboo subject for young men, while fellatio was heralded as a milestone achievement? Ain't that the truth? Dudes was like, I got my dick sucked. But it was like they were never admitting that they were absolutely eating the buzzy. When I was in college, I had a boyfriend and we decided to each learn how to give proper cunnilingus and fellatio to each other. So he Googled. This was like in the early days of the internets. And um, I also Googled and did some surveys and uh, interviews. And we both learned and we both willingly allowed each other to practice, which by the way, is not as sexy as it sounds. (laughs) It's actually kind of clinical, you know? And there's a point though, in the clinicalness of it all, where it turns from clinical to, oh, I think you got it. I think you got it. By George, once more into the breach. (laughs) I think what that really is about is simply just patriarchy, right? And the idea that like sex is supposed to be a, sex for so many of us has been presented as like pleasurable for men, but a sign of like dirtiness for women. So there's almost this thought process to me that says that like if you were giving kind of lingus, if you were eating women out, that like you were dirty somehow. But if you were getting head, like you were the king, you know, because only dirty girls were were going to allow you to eat their pussy. Like that, is, am I, I feel like that's part of that too. Then there's also certain cultures that have like a, a red flag, if you will, over eating pussy because we menstruate. So I know for a fact that like there's certain parts of Jamaican culture that very much frown upon like eating pussy and like they don't eat the punani and all this shit. And it's like a very, really, very clear thing that like you don't do that. Um, But to my knowledge, and please Please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, to my knowledge, they don't have no problem with getting hit. Which is crazy because then that begs the question of like, okay, let's take that a step deeper. So are you saying that dicks are cleaner than pussies? Because last I checked, vaginas are self-cleaning. It's literally a self-cleaning oven. Like, and for whoever needs to hear this, you don't need to clean your pussy with soap. You can literally just use warm water and it'll do the trick. And if you're wondering why you keep getting yeast infections, that's why. Because, and I'm not even, don't, you don't need to summer's eve the shit. Okay. You don't need a summer's eve the shit because it's a winter nightmare. <laughs> you don't need a douche. The only douche I will ever suggest is a homeopathic yeast infection douche. They have douches that are homeopathic douches that you can use so that you can homeopathically um, treat a yeast infection without having to take like a diflucan or using a monostat, et cetera, et cetera. And you can get them off Amazon. And just another tip, if you're on the last day of your period and you really want to have sex without there being any issues, also, good time to use that thing too. These are the things I've learned in life. So to answer this person's question, um, yeah, like women have just really for a long time just been placed as like dirty. Like and women who engage in sexual anything outside of their marriage is considered like dirty. And it's like so full of shit because like men love women engaging in sexual shit outside of their marriage. So it's really just a bunch. I mean, even if we look at like, again, the historical documentation of the uh, historically accurate film and television show, uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I'm being facetious. 
even in the piousness, the supposed piousness of Gilead, they still had these Jezebels and these places where men could go to have sex with women and have no strings attached and not have to worry about getting anyone pregnant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I am here, though, to uh, and I say this at the beginning of my special, I be knowing I am here to say once and for all, if you want your dick sucked, be willing to eat pussy. It's a fair exchange. And sure, if you get down there and it's less than aromatically uh, pleasing, that's a fair reason to say no. If someone is menstruating, that's a fair reason to say no. Not everybody is Edward Cullen. And if you didn't get that reference, Google it. And then you'll laugh because you'll know what it means when you Google it. And, you know, if you have a flat top down there, that might not be to the other person's liking. They may not be able to Little Red Riding Hood through the woods to get you to the goods. However, the same can go for dick sucking. Okay. I'm sorry, but if you had asparagus, I can taste it. Don't do it. Um, if your shit looks like ashy, like you haven't washed it, like if it smells like it's been like trapped in a Pringles can, (laughs) just letting you all picture that. I don't want to put that in my mouth. If it looks gnarled, (laughs) like a crone's hand, (laughs) I don't want it. Okay. If there is a large thicket surrounding it that I feel is going to chafe my face and unwillingly exfoliate me. (laughs) I wish you all could see Rebecca and Brendan in here, like really trying not to laugh, but like, I don't want it. Okay. I don't want it. And that's fair. There's nice ways to say this. You know, like is, you know, one way is like, hey, is there is it possible that we could do some manscaping so I get in here to do so I can get in here to do my work. Um, <laughs> and while we're at it, here's some names for fellatio slash cunnilingus. The Marvelous. The Goods. The Choke. The Turtle. And my favorite, the lickety splits. So, yeah. Again, stop trying to make women out to be these dirty fucking whores. We just want to get one like y'all. And when I say one, I mean a nut. Next question. So this person asked several questions. And I'm going to attempt to answer all of them in rapid fire. First, why is it assumed we're holding out until marriage? I think that people assume that you're holding on to marriage when you say you're a virgin because you're using language that is related to sex as it is in Christianity, right? So there's this concept that we talked about at the beginning of the show that virginity is literally, you know, the Virgin Mary, the thought process that she didn't have sex with anybody and managed to get pregnant. 
But, you know, that's that's the story that's been told. So when you say I'm a virgin, it just just society wise, I think people are just like by osmosis, they make the connection that it is related to some level of religious piety because that is how it's been presented to us for some time. Next question Two: why does every nigga think he can, quote unquote, change that? Well, I think that in on a on a on a generous level, men are just competitive, right? Um, and so they're competing with the chastity belt that you have strapped around you. And I think that they also are, for what it's worth, very arrogant a lot of times about like their skills. Literally, the worst niggas in bed are the ones who think they're the best in bed. That's happened to me several times. In one case, I had someone talk about eating my pussy for three weeks. Three weeks! And then when we finally got down to the dirty, to the job, I'm not going to call it dirty. When we finally got down to the beardness or the lickety splitsness, it felt like a dog trying to lick peanut butter off my foot. I'm just going to let that sit with you. And for what it's worth, that's not sexy. So, you know, the talkers who say they can change that are pretty sure are the ones who like are going to try and stick it like in your ear. Next question. Why is it assumed we're lying? I think that on an, on a basic level, people assume you're lying because like, there has just been this thing that's put in society that says that like a woman is more pure if she's a virgin. So I think some men still ascribe to that and think that you think that you and think that you care about how they view your purity. Uh, so you're then lying about it to make them feel like you're pure. Eh, I mean, that's that's a lot of things. Arrogant, misled, full of shit, patriarchal um, and also just like disrespectful like why are you why are you even assuming i'm lying about anything you know like if i'm not saying something that's like outlandish why should there be a concept like and literally like lying is like i'm standing on the bus while i say i never take the bus like well clearly you're on the bus right now so you do take the bus um but like oh Oh, you you lying assumes that like they think that you think about what they think about you i'm like you just don't like whatever next question why is it hard to accept if you're in a relationship with someone in other words why am i always getting dumped as soon as i mention it because people want to fuck girl okay like the best part of being in a relationship is having someone pick you up from the airport not having to go to every vacation or holiday by yourself and fucking i mean those are like three really great parts of relationships now if you are somebody who has not had sex yet Listen, like you are not basing your relationship on that. And that is completely, totally cool. But as somebody who be in relationships, like I'm at a point in my life where I'm not even fucking if we're not in a relationship. Like I'm just not. That's just not on my agenda. Um, And I think that it can be very frustrating for somebody who is not basing their relationships on sex to like de dealing with people who feel like if they can't have sex with you, then it's not worth being with you. And I completely relate. Like I empathize with you on that. I truly, truly do. But as Scott told me outside of the library at Dr. Phillips high school in 1999, he said, Amanda, I heard you got a crush on me and I'm very flattered. However, there are currently activities that I partake in that I know that you don't partake in. And I would never want you to feel pressure to partake in those activities. However, I'm not going to not partake in them activities. So I think we should just be friends. And so you can't even take it personal. Somebody 
you know, may have already decided that like this is a integral part of like what keeps them in a relationship or what they enjoy about a relationship. And therefore, if if you're not offering that, then they're just like, uh, that's a deal breaker for me. But that also means that they're not the person for you. And there's just that. Because in every relationship, there's something like that. Like, I've dated people who are like, oh, you have cats? I just can't fuck with cats. Like, I'm allergic to cats. And it's like, well, I'm always going to have cats. So it's been real. You know, like, I've dated somebody who was Muslim. And it was just like, it doesn't matter how much I love you or like you. At a certain point, we just realized, like, this is really a big part of you. And it's not a big part of me. And we're not able to find the happy like medium between the two so it just we're just not for each other that's a real thing it's just what it is next Next one one. why do girlfriends always want to know if you finally done it i mean you wouldn't ask someone that if they knew you weren't a virgin so don't ask me if i'm being as optimistic as possible i think it's like your girlfriend just want to like know about like a benchmark that's happening in your life like it really is a big deal so if you've if you've held out this long, it's a big deal. So they want to know. Girlfriends are also just nosy. Like by nature, like your friends are nosy and they want to know about you and they want to know about what's going on in your life. So like there's that. And I think that, you know, <laughs> it's just like a part of being girls. Like you just keep it 100. Like you talk about things that you wouldn't necessarily talk about with everybody. I mean, I have girls where there's just no TM. There's no such thing as TMI with us. Like me and my friend, Emily, there is no such thing as TMI with us. We've never crossed. We've never hit a point where it was like, that's too much. Um, So, you know, I think maybe it it could also in that inference, maybe that's maybe, maybe it's beneficial to ask them, why do you want to know? Because maybe in their explanation, you'll find that it's less about them wanting to like single you out and more about them being excited about you entering a space that they might currently already be in. And it could be just like a sisterhood thing. And And lastly, why is there such a negative stigma around it? This is interesting because we spend a lot of this podcast talking about like the positive stigma around virginity, but you're right. There is oftentimes a negative stigma attached to it. Like this thought process that says like, if you sleep with a woman and it's her first time, she's going to be clingy. She's going to be attached to you. She'll fall in love with you right away. Or if you sleep with someone who's never had sex before, that they're not going to know what to do. You know, they're not going to have any skills, et cetera. Um, I think that's really just people making assumptions. Um, Like I have a homeboy who hadn't slept with anyone until I hooked him up with somebody when he was like 27 and he had had so much time to study that he like knew exactly what to do. (laughs) And like Tamara Mowry was talking on the reel when I was on there a couple weeks ago, she was saying that like she waited until she was like 24 or 25 and she had done a lot of uh, self-exploration. So by the time that she was sexually active she already knew kind of like her body and things that made her body feel good so that's a stigma that really is not rooted in actual and factualness i think the the fear of like oh if i sleep with somebody and it's their first time that they're going to be clingy and needy i mean that's not completely false like some people are like that some people aren't you know some people are like i'm just trying to fuck you so i can get this first time out of my way bye you know um but for what it's worth i think that There's negatives to 
like the concept of people who aren't virgins or who aren't sexually active and then there's negatives on the other side of that. So at the end of the day, like the truth of the matter is that sex itself has all these very conflicting sides because you have people who are constantly trying to suppress it and you have people who are very open to the reality of it. And until we like get to a more clear shared mind space about that, there's There's always going to be these pockets of dissension. I just want to make an addendum. Sometimes we think people are lying about this whole virgin thing also because some people really do be lying because they still do subscribe to this thought process that like they're more pious or they're better or they're more pure because they haven't. Like that's like a thing, you know, because don't ever forget patriarchy didn't just work for men. Like there's a lot of women who subscribe to that too and vice versa. So I think that there's like this, this reality that like, Sometimes people think you're lying because they think that you are trying to be something that society thinks that you should be. And if we want to be generous, maybe the men, some men are like, oh, you don't got to lie for me. Like, you can tell me the truth. Like, I'm not going to think of you any other way if you didn't or did. Um, But some people I feel like are definitely like, I've definitely had like people in my life in the past who have said it and they say it like, Like, it's like they're like better. And you're just like, I don't know. I think that you were having sex up your ass and you think that makes you still a virgin. Next segment. People I like. Yeah. Remembers. That's why it's why I was saying the other show. Don't let every man hit the bottom of your vagina, the root of your vagina. Well, they and don't you, know about the bottom. They don't know about the bottom. Yeah, that bottom. When, but see, every man may not know because he might not have a penis to really know how to hit that bottom or how to lift to hit that bottom and work that middle with a woman. She spread her legs wide and she starts screaming, saying, "Yeah, daddy, that's it." Or she might start cursing or screaming out all types of profanities because he doesn't hit the bottom. And now her mind, she insane. Her mind ain't good because the penis done ejaculated all in her brain. As we know, I call that when the dick touched the hort. Today's people I like is Miss Alexis K. Tyler of Atlanta, Georgia, who does sex videos with her mom, who's every time her mom is completely appalled, uncomfortable. And and honestly, like I find her mom doing this dance of like, I want to chime in in this conversation, but Also, I I can't even believe we're having this conversation. Alexis K. Tyler, uh, she had like a like a public access show where she would talk about sex shit. And I just really appreciate her because she's kind of like a black sister girl, Dr. Ruth. And she's using language and references that are very, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um familiar to not only like a black community but also like a more um youthful community and she was just so frank in how she would speak that like you'd have to get over any of your uncomfortableness because she's saying shit and you're like i got i just gotta shake it off i gotta shake it off the reason why it was always interesting is because like she would be dressed in like a turtleneck with a blazer her hair in a part down the middle with a, you know, a a nice necklace. She presented as like a professor or 
a social worker, but then she would be straight like giving you the real raw about the real and the raw. And I have her as my person I like because I just feel like there's a certain point where like that's the only type of conversations about sex that we need to be having. And I don't think that that means that that's in middle school or high school. But I think that a lot of the conversation that we're talking about today isn't simply about like being a teenager and dealing with the concept of virginity and not virginity um, or when you're having sex and deciding not to. But like as an adult, you know, and this concept of like how sex is positioned in our society as a value system. And when someone is just being honest and real about it, I feel like we start to dismantle that. And I think it's so important that we start to dismantle that because it serves no real value purpose in our advancement. None. And that's why like people will be like, Oh my God, Amanda, you're so crass. You speak so frankly about it. That's why, because I just don't feel like we should be ashamed. I think that there's a certain level of privacy that you can keep and a certain level of um, intimacy that you hold dear. But in terms of like the realities of like things that can happen in sexual situations, like a lot of people don't talk about that because they think it's a reflection of them in a negative way. They think that it seems that if they talk about it, that they are somehow a whore or a slut or um a womanizer etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's like nah keep it a hundred like i really prefer like when i'm dating a dude and he just keeps it 100 with me about what his sexual past is not because i'm trying to place value on it but because i place some value on our honesty and so if you just present it to me as this is something that's happened in my past i'm not looking at that as like some revelation as much as i'm looking at it like thank you for just keeping it a buck that you fucked other people before you got here Because that's a fact for you and it's a fact for me. So I really appreciate people like Alexis K. Tyler. I appreciate the work that she continues to do and that her videos are continuing to permeate Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And when you see me talking, I talk in small doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use, my book that has now been released and is available wherever books are sold. I do speak about the hoe phase. I speak about... You know, sex when you're with somebody in a relationship than when you're not. Like, I speak candidly about sex because I'm inspired by someone like Alexis K. Tyler to remove the veil of stigma around something that everyone is either doing, thinking about doing, or talking about other people doing. That one time. Let's talk about that one time. It was Martin Luther King Day 2000. I'd been with my boyfriend for eight months. He had been very patient and very, um, he just never pressured me into like anything. But I had gone away to college and had come home. And so I was in Orlando and uh, we were at a friend's house and we were viewing a film and the friend had uh, retreated to their dwelling and somehow this took place. And I remember being like, wow, this is happening. 
of course, if, if we're being honest, you know that I'm the one who made this happen. Um, <laughs> he he went. He was absolutely compliant and was like, "Yes, I am. I'm down for this." But I was by no means coerced. It was definitely like, you know what? I think today is the day. Martin had a dream, and I had a dream. Let's see the mountaintop. And um, yeah, I remember the next day calling my friend and being like, "Oh my god." I have to tell you something. I lost my virginity. And it was like, oh my God. I had also been like a very late bloomer in the sense that like my peers were very like, for the most part, in the mix. Um, But I just wasn't, I just wasn't about it. And then I got to college and everybody was fucking and I was just like, wow, this is like a thing everybody's doing. So, you know, by the time I came home, it was like, it wasn't as abstract for me. But I will say this. My first sexual experience was, was with someone I loved and who I believe loved me and who always treated me with respect. And I will always be thankful for that because I think that that has really served as like the foundation that has formed my overall view of relationships and love and also just my, my consummate optimism about it all. And I think that when we talk about just like how we, how we position this in our lives, especially with younger people, this goes back to the person who asked the question earlier about like how involved should you be in your kids' lives? And it's like, my mom was never like, big on sex and all that. Like she was, she's a Caribbean mother. Like she wasn't schooling me about that. Like I came home one day and there were books on the couch, but I was simultaneously also though, like never made to feel that this was like a dirty thing that would make me, um, that would make me less of a person or less of valuable woman. I think what my mom was always just trying to instill in me was that my reputation was very important and that there are things that, unfortunately can carve out your reputation beyond your control. And we live in a patriarchal society where like sex and your sexual explicitness, et cetera, can oftentimes do that. So I think my mom for the most part was really just trying to make sure that I had a consciousness about the fact that like my actions in various spaces could affect how I would be viewed from that point forward. So by the time that I had my first sexual experience, I felt very comfortable and assured that I was in a space where I felt in control of my narrative, where I felt I had agency in my physical being and where I felt like I was being respected. And I really, really thoroughly like just am very thankful that I had that experience. And I think the people who are listening and maybe didn't have that experience, I know that it is very, it just feels like sometimes that that experience has like chased you, you know, for your life and that you like, I have a friend who like didn't have that experience and she has felt like that it, that it kind of like was an albatross around her neck and that she had to kind of find a way to like, Take it back and reset it. The last dose. And I know this may seem wild, but like, yes, there is like this physiological thing that happens when like you have for the first time been entered by somebody else in a sexual fashion. But I think for another part of it, like there's a mental thing. And... You can reset your own virginity. Like this whole concept of virginity is some bullshit anyway. So why can't you just decide what it really means to you? I think that that's the whole importance of agency and really of women getting an opportunity to finally like take hold of what we decide and we define our sexuality as. And 
I know that may be like very abstract, but fuck it. That's what this show is. It's abstract. It attempts to allow us to consider new things and to create new things and to, for what it's worth, like let go of things that are harmful to us. And this concept of virginity, in my opinion, is harmful. A podcast network. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 